Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good afternoon, good evening, whenever you choose to listen to this, and welcome to 11 Pieces of Me. We are back, the podcast where we have guests come on and talk about some of their favourite players growing up. They don't always have to be the best players, just players who have given them good memories, sometimes stress if it's a rival team for the from the club they support. Um, joining me is my co-host tonight, I have Mr Dave Black. Dave, how are we? Hello, I'm very well, thanks Ali, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you very much for joining me. Well, it's my pleasure. And our guest this evening, we have Miss Laura Bradburn. Laura is a member of the Celtic State of Mind podcast and a fantastic follower on Twitter. Laura, how are we? I'm not too bad. Uh, glad to be on here talking about uh, getting a chance to go back in time and, and think about more happy memories than the current season, that's for sure. Yeah, that is the that is the key. It's the reason I've, I've made such a an important message to get this podcast back. Um Dave knows I am, and I've informed Laura of my retirement of watching current football. Um, so it'd be nice to take a trip down memory lane, um, and I couldn't think of two better people to have on as well. What are you after? That's not very often this nice the, early in a podcast. Yeah, I'm start nice. What are we doing? Laura, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, give it time. Yeah, you just criticised the the Liverpool injury excuse, so um, we've we've got some time to to dig into that again. Listen, um, that supposed to be off mic. <laughs> <laughs> no such thing. No such thing. <laughs> um, for any new listeners, um, and just to double check Laura's team, we have to pick a formation. Um, eleven players, all must be retired, and then at the end we will ask you for your captain and any honourable mentions. So, Laura, what formation have you chosen? I have gone for a 4-4-2 diamond because I'm a bit saucy like that. Not not your straight standard 4-4-2. I'm going for the diamond. I like, I like the diamond. Diamond was always my my, my favourite, and then especially in the 90s. Um, right, let's let's start with the goalkeeper then. Who's up first? Uh, well, being a, a well, I was born in the late 80s, but a child of the 90s, basically, I, I thought to myself, well, who's the first person you think of when you say the word goalkeeper? And, and there's nobody else comes to mind quicker than Peter Schmeichel, so that's who's between the sticks. I, I, yeah, it's probably one thing I didn't expect to come, but also, obviously, like I, I've tried to preempt your team a little bit, um, and I couldn't think of really a Celtic goalkeeper who might have stood out. Um, so why, why Schmeichel? Uh, well, just because, I mean, I, it's one of these things where I don't know if I've ever known of another goalkeeper in the history of, or, or my history of watching football, certainly, where 
you would get to a one-on-one situation and you would actually back the keeper ahead of the striker in terms of him being able to save it rather than the striker being able to put it in the net. Like he famously had this ongoing thing with uh, with Ian Wright, where as prolific a scorer as Ian Wright was, he couldn't seem to get the ball past Peter Schmeichel. And I just think I can't imagine the confidence that it would give you to know that he was in your goal. And I say that, like you say, as a Celtic supporter who who's not always had the best of goalkeepers between the sticks for our club, I would give anything to have a goalkeeper like that that I trusted to that extent. Yeah, that's, that's a fair argument, Dave. I think we'd all say the same for, for both our clubs as well. Uh, yeah, it's 100%. I mean, obviously Schmeichel spent most of the night, well, not most of the night, some of the 90s making my life very miserable, but <laughs> he he was the very best of the Premier League era. Um, certainly in the 90s, probably beyond that. But he, um, as Laura says, he was just a formidable opponent, wasn't he? And I don't think you can really hate someone unless they're good enough to hate. You don't hate crap players. I think it's the it's a yeah. shame. So, um, yeah, he uh, would be an asset to any team, I think. Yeah, he's just such a he's just a behemoth of a man, isn't he? As just as Laura's mentioned, like the the one on one situation, it must be horrible being a forward, like heading down on goal to see this big star shape that he made famous, um, and at the angles, he must have covered some amount of ground, like some amount of that goal when you were looking at it. It would have been interesting if to, to see from that striker's view to see how much of the goal they actually seen. Yeah, it's like, it's it's a strange thing that like, you know, there's so many players whose silhouette, like attacking players especially, you could just yeah. see their silhouette and you would know who it was. You very rarely get that with a goalkeeper, but Peter Schmeichel, like you say, that big star shape where his arms and legs seem to go on forever. Like <laughs> he never needed to go down early because he could or, or even if he did go down slightly early he always seemed to have an arm or a leg out that would be able to reach uh, even when players thought the, the ball was past him kind of thing also can't forget that he did a fantastic bacon advert in, in Denmark <laughs> if, you, if you haven't seen that I think he did a couple actually he sings a little song about for, I take it that was for Danish bacon yeah there, there's no better bacon than, uh, <laughs> is it Dan Park or something I can't remember but Either way, look it up. It's on YouTube. A couple of, couple of little ditties about bacon. I'll definitely yeah, be going to do that now. I'm going to be Googling seeing if he's done a Lego advert as well while I'm at it. <laughs> I can assure you that that link to that YouTube clip will be getting tweeted along with this podcast the minute it's released. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, I think we'll, we'll move on. I, think, I don't think we can add much more. I mean, he's just just an imperial man, um, as Dave mentioned as well. The greatest goalkeeper the Premier League's ever seen. I don't think it's even in question. Um, just unfortunate the team he played for. Um, right back then, Laura. Uh, right back is a a bit of a strange one considering the caliber of some of the other players in the team, but um, I I kind of he's he's got my whole heart, and it's Jackie McNamara at Celtic. He was just an absolute idol of mine growing up. Um, me and my sister queued up for five hours I think in the rain to meet him uh, when the Celtic Superstore opened at Celtic Park um, to go in and get our poster signed and, and get a picture and all that and he was just like so so reliable he was captain of the club when we were when we got to the, the final in Seville in 2003 he had an engine on him like no other player I've ever seen he just was up and down the right hand side of the park constantly he had a fantastic delivery and he just you know he, he, 
you could have question marks over other players in the team every week and whether they were going to come out and perform and you never had that with McNamara it was just the number four shirt was his he played it right back or at right wing back every single week and you knew it was as dependable as they come yeah that's the first thing I think of with McNamara is just Mr Reliable and the one thing that he probably why, why he won't go down and like He'll go down his legend status to like 50% of Celtic fans, but the reason he doesn't get the full credit from the whole of Scottish football is purely because he was so good at every position that any manager put him in to cover that he was always like that steady seven. Whereas if he, yeah. he, if he had played, say, right back week in, week out, and that was the only position he played, he would have become like the master of that position. But because yeah, he was, it was, it was play like, anywhere. Like you say, the, these, these players that are... are top utility men if you like almost suffer because of it because they don't yeah. get well known for the position that they're strongest in especially when it comes to international level and stuff like that yeah I mean it, it, as far as Scotland's concerned certainly at the time he couldn't be beat as a right back but like you say depending on the tactics that were getting played sometimes we had a a more attacking midfielder that they would sometimes play at right wing back and he'd be forced to take a centre back position in a back three or whatever and it was just like he just seemed to get put about and I don't know if it was because of his personality maybe he was just happy to play wherever he was put or whatever but yeah he he suffered a little bit for that but I still think as a right back like you say if he'd been given the chance to to sort of cement that place I I think he would have been you know up there with the Danny McGreens and and Tommy Gemmels of this world kind of thing yeah I couldn't agree more I mean Dave Jackie McNamara for you does did you see much or is it just a um no I mean I can't profess to have seen you know follow his career particularly I I know he went to the 98 World Cup um so you know there's not not an awful lot of Scots around who've been to a World Cup but uh hopefully your time will come again um but no I mean you don't play, was it over 250 odd games for Celtic? They've been pretty good, so. Yeah. I, um, yeah, like, like oh. I say, he was just, he was just a, a kind of standard, like, stalwart of the team in one of our most successful periods in the last sort of 50 years. So, from that point of view, I, I couldn't think of anybody better. Yeah, especially at that time, that era of. Scottish, well, of Rangers, let's not not so much Scottish, but Rangers and Celtic were spending, you know, big money on on top players at that time. And as you say, he was that, he was just so, cause he was not, as you say, probably the first name in the team sheet because he just, he didn't say no at all. You know, he, he never had, as you said, Laura, like you said, you never had to worry about how he was going to play. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, reading here, Laura, that he was essentially forced out because he wouldn't agree a contract and was kind of disrespected. Do you have any any memories of how that happened or were you pretty yeah, mad about I, it at the time? I remember at the time uh, that, you know, the Celtic support, myself included, were a bit kind of um, miffed about it because he ended up going to Wolves uh, kind of for no money and we didn't get anything back for him and it was all kind of not not the best uh, split in terms of the terms that he left the club on, but I actually went to an audience with a few. But in fact, it was uh, it was only last year. So it was like a lifetime ago. But um, <laughs> he was talking about it, and he said that basically what happened was um, the club publicised that he had been offered a contract, 
uh, and what he said was he was offered a contract, but at the time he was halfway down the motorway to sign for Wolves because they had taken so long to to get their their hand out their pocket and, and actually offer him some money. Um, and so that was why he ended up leaving because because they had left it so long to, to make him the offer. So that puts a slightly different light on things, obviously. I think Celtic fans at the time felt like he was disrespecting the club and, and very much from his point of view, he felt like the club was disrespecting him. So there's there's two sides to every story, I suppose. But yeah, it wasn't the, it wasn't the best way to end things for a player that, that gave us so much. Yeah, yeah. Seems a bit of a shame, doesn't it? After all, after what probably ten years plus worth of service, and then ends like that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that at all. Yeah, I couldn't think. Didn't I? Didn't actually know how he actually finished. Yeah, so that's a good. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how much more he had. He's just. I think if I was picking, like you know, a Celtic eleven, he's 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 guaranteed in my in my team every week as well. Laura. Um. What, what about left-back for yourself, then? Left-back, uh, we're a bit more along the conventional lines, but this is just being a, a, a product of the era that I grew up in. I couldn't think of anybody else but Roberto Carlos. He was just, again, the same as McNamara, but in a very different way. Like a, a Physically, an amazing specimen who, who could run up and down the field. He had pace like, to burn. Uh, Obviously, he could he could absolutely batter a ball from any angle or from a free kick, and he just uh, he just seemed to again in a team with so many superstars, he transcended this this uh, era of when he signed for Real Madrid where they weren't totally at the top of their game, um, and he was there consistently throughout that period right into the Galactico period and beyond. So. Um, it was just absolutely fantastic. Plus, I seem to remember as a kid all these ridiculous facts about how thick his thighs were and how, <laughs> how many inches it took to of measuring tape to get around his thighs. That always stuck in my mind. But yeah, no, I, again, it's kind of the same thing as Schmeichel. Like the minute I thought left back, it was just Roberto Carlos before anybody else. It was it was the same for me. So I'll, I'll pass this one over to you, Dave. Well, I was actually, funnily enough, I've been re-watching um, Fantasy World Cup 98, you know, Bidale and Skinner, and uh, the um, the thigh measuring happened on a show, um, <laughs> just to, you know, just to totally rubber stamp that. Uh, I think they measured the two guests' thighs, and they were like, even combined, they weren't the size of Berto Carlos's, so... <laughs> So there you go. Um, no, I mean, I think, I think Carlos was in my team. Ali will have his little black book there, which will tell you. I'm pretty sure I had Carlos in because um, the free kick against France in, in Le Tournois, um yeah. that was, you know, probably at that age, I hadn't watched an awful lot of international football outside of Euro 96. And to see someone do that and who I didn't really know, um, it, you, you, you never forget that kind of thing. And even daft things like, you know, like, Proev having the Roberto Carlos run up as an option where you just yeah. it was like a fast bowler's run wasn't it to you uh, yeah. got a good 10 yards on it just give it an absolute twatting so um, I can still never score one of those free kicks so like oh, no. they, I used they to, looked amazing but they were so hard to do I used to try in, in training all that you know you do the training modes I used to just sit with that on and just try and try and replicate it over and over again like <laughs> stuff you would never have time to do now but the, that was the kind of thing that like really captured the imagination back then it was just you know you wanted to replicate these things and uh you don't get many um i can't think of better terms i was going to say you don't get many sexy left backs do you? like left backs who are flary and you know do stuff like this anymore they're all you know 
inevitably converted to wingers at some point. So, um, you know, it's a totally different era, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I don't know if it's a product of, you know, the, the age that you are when you grow up. Maybe there's maybe there's kids nowadays that will think of Andy Robertson as a sexy left back in 20 years time. But like, <laughs> but it's just the it's the same as with Schmeichel. It's like they're almost so iconic that they don't seem real. It's like he, he just was such a staple like icon of the game for for 20 years or whatever when we were growing up and it was like when him and and Ronaldo and and a, a lot of players from that Brazil team the one that won in in uh, or the one that reached the final in 98 I should say or, and won it in 2002 when they started retiring it was like you felt like it was the end of an era and it was an era that you've not really or I don't feel like I've seen since really mm, no I completely agree I think uh there's a lot more sort of vanilla players now coming out of Brazil. Um, yeah. Which they're still, you know, very, very good, but there's no, there's not as many sort of icons as, as there were back then, and there probably won't be for a long time now, just because, well, for various reasons, really, which we're not going to now, but uh, it's a totally different time, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's, it's a very good point you're making, because I always think, like, like Neymar's a twat, right? We, we'll all agree, and that's probably a polite term that we all want to call him, yeah. But Neymar's kind of like the talent's not quite there of the Ronaldos, the Rivaldos, the Ronaldinos, but he, he's almost of that breed at least. And I, yeah. and I do feel that's why he's he's so hated in today's game because it's like he's still trying to be that '90s and early '90s when. That, that type of Brazil player. But as you say, I think it was you who said that there, Dave, that you know it's very vanilla now. Um and it's much I more just and, and I do the feel difference with like Neymar is you know, like you're talking about the Rivaldos and, and Ronaldos and, and that kind of player. They played with a lot more joy, I think, and they were yeah. a lot more likable than, than Neymar is. Like Neymar's got too much arrogance to his game and a lot of people would say that that's something that you need and and blah 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 but like I, I don't find him a likable personality on the park like and and so many of those Brazil legends from that time just looked like they had fun playing in that team and that's that's what drew people to them I think I I, I do agree but I also then kind of I feel for him in a way where because he's the only one who's doing that and he you know he's trying to enjoy football that way Whereas yeah. everything else is quite plain. And that's what I mean. So he stands out as this, and yeah, he's arrogant and he's ego. But I think the arrogance then stands out more because there's no other arrogant players around him. Hence why probably Brazil's failings really, um, probably since 2006. I think it was the last time they did. Was it six they did something good? I know they won it in 2002, but, um, but you know, you know what I mean. So that's 15, almost 20 years, say, um, where Brazil have been that. Not so, not so much flary. Put it this way, like Roberto Firmino is their, their number nine now, who doesn't really do. You know, it's just he runs about a lot and presses a lot, and that's that's you know revered nowadays. Um, I, and that's why, like, don't get me wrong, I hate Neymar, so like, <laughs> I'm not defending him too much. But I do, in that way, as you say, we we think back to that Brazil team of the the 98s, especially. I think that's all the World Cup we probably remember the most. The three of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, all you think about is you know Brazilians dancing when they score goals and happy and smiling, and then then you come to Ronaldinho, who's just like whose smile takes over the world. Yeah, and I think I think 
I, I kind of feel lucky in that way that that we are probably one of the last generations to have that iconic Brazil team of ours, if you like. Like there was the the one in the seventies, the nineteen seventy team with Pele, and like there was uh, the eighty two team with I think it was Zico and Rivellino or, or yeah. whatever. Like a, a couple of generations throughout the years have all had their Brazil team that they think was the best, and we definitely have one from our time growing up that you know goes toe to toe with those teams and you could argue is as good as those teams I don't think you know any kid growing up in the last 20 years for example has a Brazil team that they can really say was as iconic no, uh, yeah I agree I agree 100% and, and even bringing it back to Carlos like my like everybody as a kid had that one and that foreign team that they supported and mine was always Real Madrid you know yeah. the white kits and and Carlos was as you say was like that it was strange to love a defender, but as you say, the the five the five thickness stat was always that mesmerising. The 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 goals, the free kicks, the the pace, still good at defending. Um, the fact that he was Brazilian and could defend. Um, he averaged a goal every nine games that he played in. Yeah. Um, which is ridiculous for a defender, um, especially back then when defenders could actually defend. Uh, the, he's probably got the most watched video on YouTube that I've ever watched, uh, the impossible goal. I think it was against Zaragoza, yeah. uh, where he hits the half volley from basically on the goal line. Just uh, everything about him was just, yeah, I love him. Dave, yeah, you did have him in your team. I had him in my team, and that's the perfect hat trick then. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of, um, right, take us into your, your first centre-back. So my first centre-back is... Um a little bit, Dave will maybe appreciate this a little bit um, I, I did think about going for Evermoas but I'd never actually seen him in person so I, I, I'd only ever seen him on Championship Manager so I went for uh, went for Lillian Turam instead um, and to, to develop on the conversation we've just been having it was basically, he was one of the sort of mainstays of a couple of the really iconic teams of the 90s that I remember growing up, one was the Obviously, the France 98 team, I think he ended up actually scoring in the semi-final, uh, and he was such an important part of that team. Um, that, for me, is the kind of standout, iconic World Cup of my childhood, the fact that France won, won on home soil that year, um, and he was such a big part of that, but he was also a part of this iconic um, Parma team that had you know, the likes of, I think they still had Buffon at the time, and yeah. Cannavaro, and Nesta, and Chiesa and Crespo and you know you could go on he was uh, a, a huge part of that team so um, yeah again pretty much the same as Roberto Carlos um, he was just one of the, the players that immediately uh, sort of jumped into my mind uh, arguably he could have been at right back had it not been for McNamara but he, he was as good a centre back as he was a right back I think yeah I, I basically echo everything you've said for that for the same very reason um, I had about right back um, just I love that France team um, again that World Cup was probably the first World Cup I actually cared about probably the last World Cup I actually watched you know fully invested in um, there was just something special about it as you say I I, I was back when I was younger I, even though we've just mentioned like all those Brazilians but I was almost anti-Brazil back then because all my friends loved Brazil so I went for the opposite um, uh, I'll always say I never truly appreciated Ronaldo until like he retired because 
I was just so happy because everybody loved him. I remember all my friends having his boots. And, yeah, so when Turam, obviously that final, that France team was just special and, and Turam kind of epitomised that defence, as you say. Uh, I mean, Dave, for you and that that Channel 4 Saturday, Sunday mornings as well. <laughs> Of course, yeah. Um, but I mean, as, as Laura says, the, the, that Palmer team is iconic for so many reasons. Of course, you mentioned Champ Manager for forever more. But the Palmer team on, on Champ was, was pretty special as well, wasn't it? So um, there's a lot of a lot of good memories tied with it. And as you say, that semi-final, like they were Turam's only international goals um, in that semi-final. So not a bad time to get them. Um, I do remember France were kind of on the on the the brink really of. Uh, of losing to Croatia, who went in as not really a particularly fancied team until they knocked Germany out, and people started taking notice of them. Um, and of course, they were on the way towards a final, but uh, yeah, then Turam turned up and turned it around, and obviously the rest is history. So, probably big goals in in uh, the French national team's history, I would have said. I think my I think my only regret about him is that um, obviously, apart from the the Channel Four um, Galazzo and and the Serie A coverage that you saw uh, during the 90s um, when it came into the noughties and that wasn't as readily available you know you didn't get to see as much of him as you would have liked um, and that's my only regret as far as he's concerned is that I didn't get to see more of him but you know he, he made enough of an impression on, on me in the time that I did see him to think you know any team that I'm going to have is going to have him in it if it's a if it's you know if you're talking about players that have made an impression on you uh, throughout your life. Do you have any memories at all of him at Barcelona? Because I don't recall this at all. Um, yes, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. <laughs> I, I just don't, just, do just don't remember. It's one of the kind of weird ones where I'm like, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh yeah, he did play for them. But um, like, when was it? Because it might have been, it might have been when they were like really in the doldrums and and not doing too well. Like I know when so, Ronaldinho signed for them, they weren't doing too well either. So yeah, it was right. Well, it was his last club, um, 2006 to 2008. So obviously, what's that? After, well, successful at that time. So yeah, it's it's. I just don't recall it. Um, I guess as you say, that kind of time though it was all Ronaldinho, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Everyone else was just there, but it was it was his show, wasn't it? Um, if I'm in the right ear, anyway. But you know something? Went... I was actually I was at a Barcelona game at the Nou Camp in 2006. I went over there um, on an Easter break with my my mum and my sister and managed to convince them to come to a game with me. And uh, so you never know. I might have actually seen him in the flesh. Well. <laughs> It looks like he signed after the 2006 World Cup. So if you were there at Easter, you probably just got there before him. But uh, yeah. but who knows? Apparently it happened. So let's just believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Wikipedia says it, it must be right. Well, that's it. Maybe he's been on editing his own Wikipedia. <laughs> can't rule it out, can you? He's looking for a coaching job just to tie over. Barcelona can't afford him, unfortunately. So it's fine. Also, um, his um, sorry, Ali, his uh, his real first name is Rudy, as in John Rudy. So there you go. Oh. Wow. Maybe John Rudy's been on Edinburgh's Wikipedia page as well. Lillian, <laughs> I think. I know, like, who, I mean, if if you're a bloke and your real first name is Rudy, would you opt for Lillian? <laughs> <laughs> John Rudy left that that good an impression that he would rather be called Lillian. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's a true man that's happy to be called Lillian when it's not his fault. That's a man securing yeah. his masculinity right now. Absolutely. I thought this name of one of Roberto Carlos's thighs, that. That's how man's masculinity <laughs> Meet oh, the girls, oh. everybody. Meet the girls. <laughs> on, on, on that note, who's, um, who's Lillian Tarab's partner? <laughs> well, I don't know if you'd be happy to be teed up in that way, but um, it, it's Jap Stam. <laughs> Big yap. I um I mean I, I wouldn't be popular with a lot of folk for having two Man United players in there. Um, certainly didn't play for them for all that long. But yeah, I, I just thought to myself, I don't think I've ever seen a more terrifying human being. Never mind footballer. <laughs> like the guy was just terrifying. I can't imagine being like a young striker or something like that going up against him. Like he just was an absolute machine. Uh, he was probably one of the last of that kind of era where he could get away with absolute crunching tackles, probably because the referee was as terrified of him as anybody. <laughs> but I mean, he was he, he was just a, an absolute unit, the same as the same as Schmeichel, just utterly, utterly dependable. And um, yeah, again, like because of the time period that he played for Man United and, and things like that. I would have loved for him to have stayed longer so that I could have seen him more regularly. But again, like what I did see of him, um, both for for United and for Lazio especially, um, I, I just he's he's probably one of the best defenders, if not the best central defender, I think I've ever seen. Bobo Waldy is sitting cussing you right now. Capstam <laughs> <laughs> over Bobo Waldy. Um, I mean, Yapstam for you, Dave. What can you add on? Uh, well, again, I was quite, I was relieved when United sold him when they did because I felt like he was, you know, they were they were losing out by getting rid of him when they did. I know Ferguson said they couldn't refuse the money uh, for a guy of that age. Um, I think he was 29, going on 30. I think when they when they sold him, he just come back from an injury. So, um, but they, I think they replaced him with Laurent Blanc, who was past right, past yeah. past his best to say the least. So. Um, you know, as a, as a well, we we actually became a rival kind of the following season. We got you know got our shit together for the first time in a while. Um, I was quite pleased he wasn't there, but um, he went on to play for another probably six or seven years at, at, at you know Champions League chasing clubs. So he was by no means past it. Um, but he was he was exceptional when he was there, wasn't he? He was uh, just a, as Laura says, just an absolute beast of a centre back. Um, it's a bit odd. He never really stayed anywhere for very long. I wonder if he was a bit of a, a bit difficult to get on with. Because looking at his history here, he kind of moved every couple of years, um, which you don't usually get from someone who's quite good. It's uh, the clubs tend to want to hang on to them. Well, it's, especially it's for a centre half. I, I hate to bring up Championship manager again, but I seem to remember him being a rather temperamental character in that game as well. So I wonder if there's any truth in that. Usually, if it's it's true in Champ Man, it's true in real life. So. Well, he's Dutch, isn't he? And the Dutch are famously uh, upset <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I I feel I remember him more, like just as you mentioned, like moving about clubs. I feel I remember his Milan stint more than his Man United stint. Maybe because Liverpool weren't really that great at the end of end of the nineties. Um, as you say, you you use were much more, I wouldn't say successful type, Dave. But you no, know, you me neither. <laughs> But, but you know what I mean, you were kind of, probably had better battles with him, especially Man United at the time. Obviously, we had always had the rivalry, but um, 
I, I remember Stan being there, but there's there's no like moment in like a Man United Liverpool game that I could that I could think. But obviously, I remember him playing in that Milan team in in 2005 and. It's funny because, as you mentioned, Dave, about I'm leaving United and you were happy. I was, I was delighted to know by the time we played them in the 2007 Champions League final that he was away, and I was convinced that we had that in the bag. And um, unfortunately, he left and they won. So um, <laughs> maybe he was the curse. <laughs> well, maybe he was. He, um, I mean, he went on to manage. Well, probably still does manage. Um, but we played as Redden team when we were in the Championship um, a few years ago. And they were the most boring team we've ever played against, ever. Like, they must have had hundreds of passes along what was a back, probably three, I think it was. They had absolutely no interest in scoring a goal. They just bored oppositions to death. And then yeah, they had the, I, I remember the, watching a Football Focus feature about him and uh, he was being hailed as the kind of next managerial genius. And I, I did the same thing. I decided to, I'm going to like go out my way to watch Redden, which is not something that you do very often, but... Uh, I, I I watched the game and like you say it was absolutely turgid like it, it was basically like 11 Jap Stams on the field which as much of a good defender as he was I don't think 11 of him is, is going to make for something very entertaining definitely not and it looks like since then he's gone from like club to club to club with no great success so maybe the Yapstam experiment's over yeah he's at FC Cincinnati now um that, that massive, that massive club over there. Um, but yeah, as you say, like the managerials kind of went the same way as his his club career. You know, two three years at one club, and um, but who'd have ever thought that Yap Stam would have managed Reading? <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a thing. <laughs> um, Yap Stam anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, like an absolute monster of a centre and a half. He still looks scary now. Um, I was just looking at pictures from there. Um, I, I really wouldn't fancy even being like a youth player, and he's and he's and with him as the manager. Like, how do you say no to that? <laughs> <laughs> that's um, <laughs> that's an impressive back four slash five with a, with a goalkeeper. Though. There's not many goals going to get conceded. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, as your deep lion midfielder. Um, who, who are we in placing in there? Because they're going to have a fairly easy job. Yeah, well, it, based on the fact that I thought the, the, the defence was as, um, as rock solid as it appears to be, I thought I can afford to be a bit more creative with the defensive mid. So I've gone for for a player who kind of redefined it as we know it, um, which is Andrea Pirlo. Um, we talked about Stam being in that iconic uh, Milan side of 2005 and, and, and Pirlo was there as well and everybody talks about this kind of quarterback mentality that he had, he could just sort of I hate to use the phrase pull the strings but that's exactly what he did, you know he, he had such a, as well as his free kick taking ability which is, isn't uh, in doubt, like his ability to, to pass the ball either short or long and just dictate basically how the teams that he played in played from from a position that usually players are not so influential um it just meant that as soon as again as soon as you see defensive mid opening up if you can get Pirlo in there you're you're doing well yeah Pirlo for you Dave uh I mean I'm not as massive a Pirlo fan as a lot of people are um and it's just gonna be ignorant really but I can't deny that he 
he would have fit well in the Yapstan's Redden team, put it that way. He loved a pass. But um, no, I mean, he was obviously exceptional. But I, think, I might be wrong on this, but I feel like he kind of became popular towards the end of his career. Um, I think it took a while for people to really appreciate what he was and whether that's because the way the game went and, you know, kind of needed to move to a certain style to, to really, for people to appreciate what he does. But I mean, I think everyone talks about Euro 2012 and how he, I mean, he did basically playing without the game. Um, and that's, that's my overriding memory of him is, is how, how, you know, how unflappable he was throughout that whole, not just game, but probably the whole tournament. Um, he uh, became a bit of a one of the like kind of the hipsters' favourite, didn't he? For yes. that that kind of time, um, which is probably a bit unfair. And as, as, as you know, as you say, he was he was exceptional for a long time in his career. Um, and there's not many who play for both Milan clubs either. But there you go. Uh, yeah, I, and I find that strange. I think any uh, just the whole Italian philosophy. Nobody cares about moving from team to team. Like, it's just so common. It's unbelievable. They just they don't care about playing for Juventus, Parma, Lazio, Napoli. Like you never see that in in England or in Scotland or in even Spain. Italy's the only league this happens. <laughs> yeah, I've even seen situations where was it like uh, Adriano? Like they've got this weird thing that seems to only happen in Italy as well, where there's like part ownership of a player uh, from the yeah. club. And so, like, he was part-owned by Parma and part-owned by Inter at one point, and it was just like, how how is, can this be happening? Like, it just seems as if they're all just like, ah, yeah, well, we'll have him for a season, and then you have him for a season. And an absolute nightmare for any managerial game you ever played. <laughs> well, I was saying it was ludicrous, because you had to, like, basically buy him twice to get him. If they were, part, if they were like, if they were co-owned, whatever it was, like, you had to essentially negotiate with two clubs. Um, so that was never going to work out. I mean, you Nazi have taken a step further by just, you know, owning three or four different clubs and just farm players between them now. So that's probably the new co-ownership. <laughs> 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 um, I, I, I do kind of agree with you, Dave, about the... Whilst it's, it's harsh on him um, because his talent's always been there, he's always been a good player, but you do feel, especially, maybe even more so because social media become so big as well, that he then become like that almost cult hero type status. Um, yeah, well, I was going to say if, if if there's any hipsters out there who are fans, Andrea Pierre will get following his Instagram because it does not disappoint. It's, <laughs> it's pretty good. I think he's got his own photographer or something, but the guy just looks incredible 24 hours a day. <laughs> How is he as a manager? Like I know, obviously, he, he's got the Aventus gig with minimal managerial experience um, and they aren't top of the table which is odd for Juventus is that down to him or is it just the way the world is at the minute and everyone's a bit, a bit upside down I mean I don't I, I, I've not seen a lot of Juventus this season to even know what, what what is going on there like I'm probably not the best person to ask but I, I've got my suspicions that you know any any club that's got Ronaldo in it is going to struggle uh, to over overrides, you know, what his concerns and desires are mm, for the good yeah. team sort of thing, and, and maybe that's slightly hampering him. But again, that's that's just a kind of guess because, like I say, I haven't seen much of them. That's why I don't see a lot of Serie A at the minute. But when I do watch them, I do feel like it's you know Ronaldo or nothing kind of thing. Yeah. I, I watch it in Inter Milan play or, or even a Lazio or something like that play, and they have a they have a way of playing, and you know it's 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 more of a 
a set style you can you can put your finger on, but with Juventus it didn't seem to really have a have anything other than get it to Ronaldo. So uh, it's uh, but I mean, as you say, I, I don't think Pirlo is going to be able to change that anytime soon. He's probably got more chance out last than Ronaldo, who can't be playing at that level much longer, surely. Yeah, he's, his 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 legs have his legs have completely gone now. He's almost like a poaching number nine these days, um, who scores penalties or thirty yard pop shots. Um, it's 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 not pretty to watch for somebody who was once, you know, comfortably top two best players in the world. Um, but yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see where the Pirlo managerial story goes. Um, yeah. Um, anything more to add on Pirlo, Flora, or do you want to give us the first of your central midfielders? Well, the last the last thing to say on Pirlo um, is also for anybody who's looking for a, a wee bit of a laugh and good fun, uh, give his uh, give his autobiography a read because it, it really is like it's quite laugh out loud funny at points. There's a, there's you know stories about him playing pranks on on Reno Gattuso and you know talking about the fact that all he did before the the night before the the World Cup final or the day before the World Cup final in 2006 was uh, play the PlayStation and, and that kind of thing. I think he I think he tries to live up to the rep- representation or, or the reputation that he's got um, and, and create this persona and it definitely comes across in the book. It's almost like a kind of parody book but it's uh, but and he definitely has his tongue firmly in his cheek a lot of times but it's, it's a fun read for anybody who who remembers him at his peak. Yeah, it's just a read, yeah. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. But yeah, no, my first uh, central midfielder, I say central, but uh, I've gone for, again, two more creative people than you might normally have in the diamond, uh, slightly wider players. But the first one's uh, Ronaldinho, um, just because, uh, like I say, unfortunately, when I went to the Barcelona match in 2006, he was actually injured. um, And it was the whole reason that I wanted to go, because he was just... uh, I would... I struggle to uh, sorry I struggle to say this but I would say maybe if you had to ask me who my single individual favorite player that I've ever seen is probably Ronaldinho like he just he's the only player I've ever seen and I include Messi in this who's probably the best player I've ever seen but Ronaldinho is the only one that I ever saw do things that you just were like I don't even know what he did there but it worked <laughs> Like, I don't even know if I went back and slow motioned it or whatever, if I could even figure out what he was doing. But it, it worked. And, and there was one particular game that I remember watching him. I think it was, might have been a Champions League semi-final against Milan. Um, and he played in the San Siro in that kind of luminescent Barcelona away kit. And it was just okay. him at the peak of his powers. Like, just you know, juggling the ball in a way that you would do in a training game and he was in a Champions League semi-final and just, and that was the thing about him as well. He had all the tips and tricks and everything, but he was effective. You know, he had an end product and he and he was, he wasn't just a luxury player. He was a game changer at the biggest, biggest and best of times. I think, I, I used to always say Ronaldo and Messi are like the, the two most talented players I'd seen. I think Ronaldinho might be the best player of all time, purely on the back that he always played with a smile. He was effective. The skills that no one else could do on a football pitch, the the goals, the 
he, he would tackle. It wasn't like he was a luxury player either. Um, yeah. He just had he had it all. Um, I don't think there's a more. I, I think if you if you put a poll out to let's say a thousand people, at least nine hundred and fifty of them are coming back saying Ronaldinho is the most enjoyable player they've ever watched. Anybody, yeah. especially around our age, as we mentioned, you know the the that that those Brazil years. Um, he's just. There's just something special about him. I don't know. He just if you're feeling down, watch your Ronaldinho video on YouTube, you know, and it just makes you smile about football. It kind of almost makes you become a kid again and fall in love with the game. Yeah, and there was that that um, video that was the first one ever to reach a million views on YouTube. The one where he keeps volleying the ball off the bar. Yeah. And like obviously, obviously that was fake, but the very fact. <laughs> that you would even question whether it was real just showed the level of ability he had like if you saw any other player do that you'd go ah they faked that somehow but when it was Ronaldinho you were like I don't know I think he might be able to do that you've just ruined that video for me I I refuse to believe that was fake until you said it out loud (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah just even like the the Nike advert ones he's involved in the the video where he puts that he changes his boot you know for the advert and smacks that off the bar as well um, I mean, Dave, we're running out of superlatives for all. <laughs> well, what can you say? Like you say, he was uh, just an exceptional player, wasn't he? He, um, he was absolutely the best in the world for probably three or four years, without doubt. And then probably <laughs> probably enjoyed the life that came with that too much and kind of went downhill after that. But he, <laughs> what a... What an eerie he had, though. I mean, he was he was fantastic. And as you said earlier, Laura, Barcelona weren't always that good in the mid in the mid noughties But once uh, once he got there, they were they were very good indeed, weren't they? Yeah, I'm just looking him up now, and it's like crazy because I was I was starting to think like, you know, what age was he when uh, when he went to Milan? Because at that point, he was already considered to be a bit kind of you know past his peak in that. He was only 28 when he went there, like. He, he, he lived a good life. Yeah, uh, was, he's, only, was, he's only forty now, and you feel like he's a he's a player from a different era, you know. <laughs> ah, that's the problem, though, isn't it? He he just didn't look after himself. I mean, it's probably quite difficult to when you get to the you know when you got that level of fame, and uh, I mean you know Barcelona's not a not a bad city to live in for that kind of thing either, is it? Plus you know De Janeiro, so um, all those things combined. I mean, you, could argue, you could argue it was the basis for Barcelona getting back to the level that they got to, because like like we said before, it was kind of one of those situations where when he signed for Barcelona, everybody was a bit in shock because you know Real Madrid were the big team at the time, and and and, and Barcelona were certainly in one of their their lower uh, periods of their history. So you know when he arrived, he certainly was not joining the Barcelona that he left. No, that's very true. I mean. I suppose we have to ask you as well, do you think he meant the free kick against England in the 2002 World Cup, or was it a cross that was overhit? I I personally think that there's two ways of looking at this. Like You could either look at it like, who, who would even try that? It can't possibly have been meant. But the other way I look at it is, I don't believe Ronaldinho could hit a ball so poorly that... <laughs> it would accidentally go in the net. Like, I think he must have done it on purpose. And either way, it made David Seaman look an absolute idiot, to use a Scottish phrase. So uh, I was happy enough with that. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, that's, that's fair. I can't argue with that. Um, he, uh, I don't think he would overhit it by that much, would he? Surely not. Yeah, it's, keep hitting it off the barn like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those, and he he probably just aimed for an area, and if it goes in, it goes in. Great. If not, see, the worst he is doing is parrying it out to somebody else. Yeah. Um, I mean, we you talk about that goal. I mean, what about his chest up and overhead kick for Barca? I think it was against Villarreal. Yeah. I mean, again, he had this kind of weird way of moving his body and he could do that when he was chesting the ball. Like, he could... Most of the time, players chesting the ball, they're using it as a kind of way to stop it or to to just bring it down. He seemed to be able to direct it or flick it up or, you know, change the trajectory of the ball just using his chest and, like, a flick of the shoulders. And it was just, like, again, something that was so... Like iconically Ronaldinho that you that you couldn't ever imagine or see another player doing. I've just got a massive smile on my face just as we're talking about him. There's just there's just not many players that can do that for you, um, regardless. And I mean, I I am I am I wrong in my memory? Was was he very close to signing for Man United as well before he went to Barcelona? He's very close to signing for Newcastle. Um, really? So Bobby tried to get him from PSG. Uh, I think it was that era anyway because um, PSG weren't all that much cop at yeah. the time um, I'm pretty sure it was us and Man United who were linked with him and he ended up going to, going to Barcelona um, obviously I don't know how, how true any of this is how close it got but you know how these things get yeah, get taken as fact in urban myth but yeah he was, he was on the radar apparently I think he's like a, he's one of these players that probably was on the radar of, of, of most teams and like could have signed for anybody that he wanted to really, but that's not to take it away from you, Dave. Like I, I'm sure Newcastle would have been a a worthy a worthy destination for him. <laughs> <laughs> would have been a very different career. Although it would it would have it would, it would have finished exactly the same way with with him, with him on the lash every night. <laughs> It'd have been on Geordie Shore or something like that. <laughs> it would have been. <laughs> that, 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 that would have made that show well worth the watch after that. <laughs> right, Laura, who have we got living up to Pirlo and Ronaldinho then next to them? Ah, uh, well, I wonder if Pirlo and Ronaldinho could live up to this guy. Um, not, not one that obviously I saw at his peak whatsoever, um, but one that I've just grown up learning about from from my grandparents and and read everything out that there is about him and firmly believe he's probably the most influential individual in football history and it's it's Johan Cruyff. Like um, I went to I went to an Ajax match uh, last year with my brother because we've got um, family over in Amsterdam and um, the chance to go and see the the Johan Cruyff Arena and uh, take that in and soak that in was a, a massive sort of thing for me to be able to do I've read his autobiography and and I just love the way I love the way that he thinks about football the way that he talks about football um or the way that he talked about football I should say um and and looking back at the looking back at the highlights of him and I've watched a few of the games in full like some of the iconic ones like the some of the bigger games from the 1974 World Cup um, and some of the bigger Ajax games as well that he was he was a player in. Um, he just 
Again, he, he just had so much ability about him. Um, he, he was a bit different to Ronaldinho in that I think Ronaldinho enjoyed being by far the best player on the pitch whenever he played, whereas I think uh, Cruyff spent a lot of his career, uh, both as a player and manager, getting frustrated with other people for not being as good as him. But, you know, like very few people are going to ever live up to ever live, live up to that level. But, yeah, just a, a, an absolute icon of the game that, like... Beyond his his play on the park, just his ideas about football and the way that he changed football, um, both for Barcelona and for European football in general. I I don't think you can have a dream team without Cruyff in it. Um, no, that's fair. There's not really much I can add to that because I mean, like yourself, like everything I know of of the man, and it's just it's just reading. Um, I mean, Dave, for yourself. Um, are you similar in, in memories and thoughts? Yeah, I mean, probably similar to Lloyd, he played a bit before my time, but I think anyone who's ever taken interest in football would know about Cruyff and his legacy, and you, know, you could argue it's still a legacy at Barcelona, and, and well, maybe not so much now, but the players who came through at Barcelona who followed in his, in his path. Um, and of course, you've got to remember he's also got you know, the Cruyff turn named after him, as well as the uh, the Ajax Stadium and also I think Barcelona I think the training grounds named after him um, so, yeah. so you know he's he's obviously left his left his stamp on the game more so than pretty much anybody else I would say yeah he's he, poor sons <laughs> just how how are you living up to that <laughs> um, I think I think Jordi Cruyff definitely suffered from that he's like he was he wasn't by any means he was probably a below average footballer. But I mean, he wasn't the worst footballer I've ever seen. But because he was, he had Cruyff on his shirt. It was like folk were just so harsh towards him and so uh, expecting so much of him that um, that that, that he was never going to live up to. Of course, you could argue the opposite and say that he would never have played for Barcelona and Manchester United without that name. But um, yeah, yeah. He didn't Jordi take off Cruyff off the back of his shirt in the end as well. And just go under Jordi on the back. I think he did, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I can. Especially, I remember it being at United. I, I didn't think they had Cruyff there, but um, yeah, it's like you always kind of feel for like a really great player's son coming through. Um, I mean, Maldini's suffering at at, at Milan, um, and obviously with, with the legacy that that Johan Cruyff has left on on football and especially on on Barcelona and, and Ajax. Um, no one, no one's really going to live up to it. You, the the worst thing you could probably be compared to is really the next Cruyff, isn't it? It's like it's it's just a it's a, it's a tagline you really don't want to hear, especially yeah, you when don't, you, you don't you don't want that tag at the best of times. Never mind when it is actually the case that you are <laughs> the next Cruyff. <laughs> Do you know who Jordi Cruyff managed at international level last year? No. Well, it's Ecuador. Who knew? Oh my! I thought he was. Was he not like a? He was like a sporting director or something like that at, at Maccabee Tel Aviv or something like that for years. But I, um, he was. Yeah, he was. Uh, but like, I, I didn't know he'd ventured into management in uh, any way, and certainly not as uh, manager at Ecuador. I'll tell you what, they've been busy on Wikipedia, haven't they? If it's not true, um, yeah. <laughs> He managed he managed Ecuador for a bit, and then he he's currently the manager of um, 
Shenzhen Football Club in the Chinese Super League. So well, he gets about. No, he gets gets about, doesn't he? <laughs> Shenzhen is that not Shenzhen? Is that not who Robbie Fowler managed for? I didn't think Robbie Fowler had been to China. I know he'd been to Australia and uh, uh, probably India as well. Was that him or was that someone else? I don't know. He was. Yeah, I mean, I keep. I thought someone was nagging me head that he played in India. Um, Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Maybe that's completely what it was. I thought it was based in China that he went, not. Oh, he played for Muang Thong United, um, who are a Thai football club. Thai. And then he he also managed them. Then he managed Brisbane Raw, and now he manages East Bengal. He's getting about as well. Well, maybe, maybe building his property portfolio at the same time. I mean, he must be the only, must be the most well-travelled man in a pandemic of all time. Like. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've I've got a Celtic team who could uh, give him a run for his money. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've been everywhere but Celtic Park this season. To be fair, so, <laughs> uh, right, the fun position. Everybody loves a good attacking midfielder, um, yes. although you've got a few of them. Um, who's the official point of the diamond? The official point of the diamond is, um, well, it was between two players, but I, I eventually settled on Zinedine Zidane, again oh. because of I, again because of that um, that iconic France team '98, but also like, and Ali, you'll know this, um, being Scottish, like I, I have distinct memories of. Champions League final coming to to Hampton. Was it 2000 or 2001? I can't remember. I thought it was 2002. So yeah, one of the three. Yes. So it was it was around that time, and I just remember um, a wee guy called Bobby in my class uh, who was going to be a ball boy, and I was sitting with him the day before. And he was talking about how he was going to be a ball boy the next day. And it blew my mind that he was going to be standing literal yards from Zinedine Zidane. Uh, I just could like, it was one of these situations where you're like, how is it possible to physically be that close to Zinedine Zidane? He's not real. He's not like a real person that you could actually go and talk to. And, uh, and that was the way my mind worked at the time and then to sit and watch it and see him score like one of the most iconic goals that you've ever seen in a European Cup final in Scotland in a stadium that I'd been in a million times like just one of the like defining football memories of my childhood My, uh, I, I actually seen Zidane that week I was working for McDonald's at the time and doing my manager's course in, in Glasgow um, and the day we got kicked out of our hotel because obviously all the, the international fans were coming over to stay um, and uh, the teams were like like wandering about certain bits, you know, with police parades and yeah, there's Zidane wandering around Glasgow um, on, a, on a Thursday afternoon. I wonder if he nipped into the Blue Lagoon for a chippy or something, I don't know. Is that, <laughs> is that a good pre-match meal? I'm not sure Zidane really cared for the the healthy option, so I wouldn't be put I would put it past him sitting <laughs> a, a blue lagoon bottle of bucky sneaky fag <laughs> under the under the arches. <laughs> um, but, that, but that's what I mean. It's like it was it was like when it, when when you saw it when you saw him in Hamden 
And I'm I'm sure if you saw him in the flesh on the street, you're going, that's Zidane in a place that I know so well. And it just kind of blew my 14-year-old mind. Like, I couldn't, couldn't get it into my head that he could physically be in the place that I grew up and then for him to go on and put in the performance that he put in in arguably the greatest Real Madrid kit of my childhood. That kind of really simple, plain white, a collar with just the Adidas stripes. Yeah. Just like so iconic and so unbelievable. I still get a cramp just watching him twist for that <laughs> ball, like crazy. Yeah, just ridiculous. He's um he's one of my favourite players of all time. Not a player who I thought you were going to pick. Um, I genuinely thought you were going to pick Nakamura in that role. Oh well. Uh, you know. see, I, th- I thought you were going to pick Moravchik in that role. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but what what I mean, Dave? What what, what more can we say? I mean, that's an, it's an impressive little lineup we've got going here, like it? <laughs> Zidane is uh, I mean, that that goal alone really would would uh, would do it from our era. But he obviously scored two in the World Cup final, yeah, um, and was just just an incredible player to watch, wasn't he? I think we've all seen the clip where he plucks that goal kick out of the sky as a goal kick yeah. or whatever it is, where it's, yeah. it's just yeah. an unbelievable touch, like. You couldn't replicate that, could you? I think what was also crazy for me was I remember seeing him um, doing an interview or something like that, standing next to a couple of other players. And obviously you don't get a good impression of it when you're watching them live on the pitch. But for a guy who was so skillful, and this is such a football cliche or whatever, but for a guy that was so skillful and so well-balanced and balletic, he was, he was huge. Like, he was really, really tall and... Um, and I don't think you get many players who are so in control of their limbs and their body who also have that height and that build. And that just made him stand out even more, I think. Yeah, he's just such a spirit. He made just everything look effortless. You know, just like even... Oh, OK, granted, the 2006 World Cup? No, yeah. still won that. What was the one he got sent off? In the matter of that, matter of that, ah, that was t- that was two thousand six. It was Italy won that, I think. Oh, was yeah. it? Yeah, 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 it was, yeah. But even like the penalty he gets in it, you know, he, he chips it into the top corner, <laughs> like just calm as you like in a World Cup final. Just yeah, there you go. Just do that, and yeah, granted he loses his loses the plot in the end, and probably not the way you want to finish your your career. But I mean, just. I- a, Probably the perfect way for Zidane to go, isn't it? Just, I was going to say, I think, I think this is the way I want to finish my career, to be honest. Yeah. I, get, I get a headbutt knock on Matarazzi and walk off into the sunset. I'm right with that. <laughs> Aye, there's that, like, it's it's so... If you can't win the World Cup, hmm. like, as your last act in, in professional football, what, what do you want to do? Okay, well, I'll just malky the guy, to use another Scottish phrase, yeah. and, and get sent off and not even look at the World Cup trophy as I'm walking past. Like, it's... It's that's iconic. A, <laughs> it is a, it's a, that is an iconic image, isn't it? Him walking past the World Cup. Yeah. Um, I think that's he probably planned it, knowing him. But <laughs> I, I've heard. Have you heard the story? Of, I, I don't know. I don't think they ever named the players, but there were some players in that France squad who were furious with them because um, I think they said, you know, you've already won a World Cup, but we haven't. <laughs> um, yeah. And obviously, they presumably never will now. Um. But I mean, you could argue without him, they would never got anywhere near it in the first place. So yeah, that's kinda, <laughs> you can't have both ways. Yeah, they were far from they were far from favourites to even get to the final. I remember the final of two thousand and six. Uh, everybody going, 
you know, you would never have predicted Italy and France being there. Never mind, uh, yeah. Never mind no. as close as it was. The very fact that we were even struggling to remember who won the 2006 World Cup yeah. says everything, you know. I know, and the thing is, I don't remember it being a particularly bad tournament, um, but I do remember France just getting better and better as it went on. Um, yeah. Obviously, time in the run, I think is the phrase, and obviously, I think they beat Brazil in the quarters and had that famous semi-final with with Italy, I think. Not Italy, can't be Italy. Um, uh, with Someone else. <laughs> yeah. Por- I, I want to say Portugal, but I might be wrong. Can't remember. I think that might be right. I think might be right. Seem to remember Ronaldo crying. Well, worthwhile. Isn't it? Could have been any time, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it was because England would have played, would have been there yeah. instead of them. Yeah, that was I, the that was the Wayne Rooney sending off one, wasn't it? It was, yes. Uh, another one who I wouldn't mind seeing cry, but anyway. Fair. <laughs> Um, this is a, a very imperious team here, but I'm not seeing many teams in the, the history beating this. Um, let's go to the, the forward, not that you need any, to be honest. Um, <laughs> who's the first striker? First striker is my second Celtic player, and it's not the one everybody thinks it's going to be. Uh, you know, everybody talks about Henry Larson uh, being so iconic, and certainly for me, he was the best Celtic player I've ever seen, but... Certainly there are other Celtic players I have more of an emotional attachment to and, and the one that I've picked is George Cadet. So um, oh. for anybody who's not in the know, he is Portuguese striker. We signed him from uh, Sport in Lisbon after what one might call protracted uh, negotiations um, that, that went right to the top of the Scottish game. Uh, there was a lot of anticipation about him uh, about him joining. I, I was quite young at the time, so wasn't at games. But I remember my brother coming home from the game that he got announced at half time. Came onto the pitch doing the old, uh, came on in jeans and a suede coat with a Celtic <laughs> scarf around his neck just to say say hello. And uh, just uh, the only word I can think to describe him at the time is. Uh, is exotic, you know, like that that idea that you would spend millions of pounds on this foreign striker who was going to come in and bang the goals guaranteed, and and he just was that. He, he joined a a really exciting Tommy Burns uh, Celtic team that had uh, that had uh, Pierre Van Hooydonk and Andreas Tom and and, and Paolo Di Canio like yeah, all yeah. out attacking side, and you know my brother even talks about he's eight years older than me, and he talks about you know for all the treble winning sides and all the trophies that we've won in the years since his favourite time as a Celtic supporter was was watching that team and, and, and I can't disagree and George Cadet was the, the spearhead of it what also didn't uh, what also didn't do me any harm in terms of loving George Cadet was that I was a kid with a Celtic strip at the time and obviously long brown hair the same as him and uh, <laughs> I used to I used to do the the one finger twirling celebration in the garden whenever I scored a goal and I, I just remember that being that being a tribute to to our George. <laughs> I absolutely love that pick. I, I was trying to the whole time you were giving the dialogue about Celtic striker and it was wasn't going to be last and I'm like, who's it going to be? She's not going to pick Sutton or Hartson, surely. <laughs> um, I actually forgot about Van Hooydonk. I wouldn't have been surprised if he had went there, but yeah, yeah. just he's very very as you mentioned the hair. The hair is just the iconic, you know, the celebration like running away, twirling. Um, the song that the fans sang, it's one thing that you can always give Celtic fans credit for. They, they love a great sing-song for their players. Um, 
Yeah, but that season, just, yeah, that Celtic team at that time, you know, the Decanio, the, the Van Houden, it was just fun, the three amigos. Um, yeah. I mean, Tommy Burns is just a just a hero in himself as well. Um, yeah, that's, that's a great pick. I'm, I'm, I'm almost in shock that I didn't think of it, but I mean, Cadet, for you, Dave, do you... Yeah, so, uh, so, just to live at my stereotype, I actually very nearly tweeted about George Cadet the other night, and I'll tell you why. So, um, the first Chapmandra I played was 96-97, and uh, it had the English and the Scottish League. So after I'd kind of got bored of being sacked by Newcastle, I took over at Celtic on a new on a new game and really enjoyed playing with that Celtic team. Laura just described with you know with Tacanio and Tom and Van Hoydonk and, and Cadet. Um, and recently I've been playing it again for the the new site we've started, and uh, I don't remember this at all. But Cadet on it is is a, is a He's like a forward uh, or attacking midfielder, like right. He's like a right winger. And I, thought, I don't remember this being the case anyway, but he's, you know, he's still bloody good. So it doesn't really matter. But um, and that that Celtic team, I say, I always always enjoyed playing as them. Um, and Cadet was was by far the best player in the team with with Van Hoydonk. So um, I'm pleased you've mentioned him. He, uh, I've just looked at his record here. I didn't realize how how prolific he was. We you know 30 and 37 league games is. Uh, yeah. It's fantastic, isn't it? So, I think that's I think that's another another thing that shocks people about him. You know, this is, well, this is the kind of conversations we have in my family. But I was actually talking to my mum about him the other day, just you know, casual conversation between mother and daughter about strikers <laughs> of the last thirty years. But uh, we don't like to live up to stereotypes in this house. <laughs> but um, we we were talking about him, and I said, yeah, crazy to think he only lasted, you know, just just over a season. Um, yeah. And my mum was like, I literally had to show her the statistics because he's so firmly embedded in people's minds as like one of the iconic players of that time that you just assume he played for us for two or three seasons. But yeah. you know, the same as the same as the other three amigos are certainly Van Hoydonk Anyway, he, he, he had clashes with with you know chairman at the top of the. the top of the club and and contract negotiations and stuff all all fell down and that was basically it was money that tempted him away so you know we didn't have him for as long as you would have liked but for the short time he was there he was he was a fan favorite yeah cadet wonderland um i love that pick that's maybe one of my favorite of the of most recent times just because it takes me back to think thinking of players um Right, who's who's partnering Cardetti? Uh, have we got another Celtic player or are we going elsewhere? We are going elsewhere. We are going to arguably the first footballer I remember falling in love with head over heels and it's uh, Gabriel Batistuta. Just, oh, I can't even put into words. Like, I, I, remember, I remember him playing, uh, there was a couple of big Champions League games that he played against Man United and Arsenal. I remember the Arsenal one at Wembley, I think it was either 98 or 99. Scored an absolute worldie the way he does, like leathered it from about 30 yards out and, and it rocketed into the into the roof of the net. And I remember a lot of people at the time kind of going, oh, I didn't realise how good he was and this and that. And and obviously I'd been watching the, the, the Italian football on Channel 4 and, and the 98 World Cup that he was at and all that kind of thing. I just, I've never, the phrase goal machine gets used a lot, but that is exactly what he was. He was just a machine and he he just always, it was as if he didn't even really need to look for where the goal was. It was just, his one and only aim was to score goals and that's what I love in a striker. I'm not a huge fan of this modern um, 
more modern sensibility that a striker has to be able to do more than score goals. I like I like a reliable number nine who's going to get baggy thirty goals a season and and you know if you've got Batistuta there as long as he's getting the service that he needs he'll certainly do that for you. Yeah, Dave, I'm going to come to you on this one because I I feel I'm one of those people who, as much as I watch Italian football when I was younger, that stu- never stood out for me. Oh, not- Ali. How not? No. <laughs> he, he popped up on like 11 pieces of meat when he very first started it, when, as I say, when on the old platform and he, he was on a lot of people's teams. And like I'd always known who he was, but I couldn't tell you anything about him. I've watched much more since and paid attention to how good he was, but to give a proper, honest, like emotional 11 piece, I, I can't give you one on this player, I'm afraid. So, Dave, I'm, I'm passing this one over to you. Uh, I mean, it's, it's one of... The images of the 90s is Batistuta in that Fiorentina Nintendo shirt. Yeah. Um, blasting goals off the underside of the bar for extra effect. Um, like, that is 90s Italian football, like, in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, just players who score goals like that uh, should always be in, in every team. Like, it's... Um, he has a highlight reel of just blasting the ball and finding as I say, the top part of the net, and uh, he was exceptional at it. In a league where there's certain parts of the 90s, Serie A wasn't, wasn't exactly a free-flowing free, uh, free league for goals, so the fact that he scored so many in, in that in that era, you know, it just adds further credit to him. Um, it's just a shame he was Argentinian, really, isn't it? But, 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 but aside from that, you know, fantastic player. Um can't really say enough good things about him. I'm, I'm sitting actually here. I've got my, my team typed out in front of me because I was saying to Ali before we started the recording, I've changed it so many times that I was worried I was going to forget it. But I'm sitting here and like as much as I love the rest of the team, my, my front two are Bathstone and Cadet and even sitting looking at their names written down is just making me smile. It's like I can't imagine a more fun like goal-scoring front two than that. I... I, I dread to think what they would do to defences if they were up front together. <laughs> what well, what well, one thing I'll add on Batistuta is just what you mentioned, Dave, the iconic of the the Fiorentina and Nintendo kit. How especially I again I'll take it back, I sound like we, we sound so old when we say this, but just that era that we grew up watching, the kits were fantastic. Like and, yeah. and that's what made me love football originally. As I say, I fell in love with the pure white Real Madrid kit. Just something iconic about it. And, but the Italian kits at that time, you know, the Parma kit, the Fiorentina purple kit, the just even just the, the basic simpleness of the, the Milan clubs, um, just football kits are just magic. Um, not that it's anything to do with Batistuta, but just the, the Fiorentina kit just reminded me of that, just how much I love football kits. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're looking for a Fiorentina Nintendo shirt, one with... Um, one on eBay for thirty-five quid seems reasonable. That that is actually quite decent priced for. I know. I'm thinking that. What's wrong with it? I was going to say, like, I'm I'm like thinking of like, well, I was going to name websites. I'm not going to name websites, but there are certain websites you can go on to get curated uh, old football shirts, and they go for a lot more than thirty-five quid. So uh, I might yeah. give that a shout. It makes us wonder what's wrong with it. It's, like it's, probably, it's probably just a picture, probably just like a picture of it or something. <laughs> it's going to turn it round and it's got Stefan Schwartz in the back or something like that. 
Oh, don't say that. <laughs> oh, tell you what, it's got better steel. It's got better steel on the back as well. Oh my wow. god. And it's got it's got like feeler on it as well, so it's not one of these cheap knockoffs. Like. Oh, do you need you need to send me that link, honestly. I will. Um, <laughs> oh my god. I mean, what's wrong with someone? <laughs> Every, Probably every, get a big coffee stain on it or something that they've photoshopped out or something. Every size available. I mean... What? <laughs> they've bought every Fiorentina kit from 1998 <laughs> just so they can sell it 20 years down the line. Free post. 35 quid. Free postage. Like, this is getting better all the time. Uh, there's got to be something wrong with it. Anyway, sorry. Carry, carry on. The next weekend like review show on Man in the Post, Dave is going to be sitting there and he's fast at a Fiorentina kit. Aye, that's it. It's going to it's gonna have a massive hole in the back, but I'm going <laughs> to... What, right. what they don't see is the picture of the front and the back of the shirt is two separate pictures. It, it comes in two halves and you've got to stitch it together. Stitch it back together. It's a small, it's a small price to pay. You're working from home just now, Dave. You've got time. It's okay. <laughs> you can learn stitching in your spare time. I mean, there's nothing you can't learn to stitch. Like I'm sure YouTube will tell some sort of uh, instruction Absolutely. on that. Yeah, YouTube is the answer to everything in the world. It is. Um, apart from the only thing I can't get on YouTube, Laura, is who, who's your captain in your team? Uh, my captain in my team. I, I I thought about this for a while because I was like, well, actually. Who's the, who's the best captain in terms of who would actually be physically the best captain in a real-life match? Um, but I decided rather than do that, I would give it to the player who like most defines the the sort of way in which I tried to pick the team. So the player that gives me the most joy and, and all that kind of thing. So it has to go to Ronaldinho. That's a great Christmas night out when he's leading the... The captain says Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> those are fine. Um, as I mentioned to you previous, Laura, um, any honourable mentions that kind of missed out on the team, um, was close to going in or? Yeah, I mean, um, given given the the type of player that you can tell that I like, uh, one one that was very close to getting in, uh, but just didn't make it was Gianfranco Zola. Um, I remember, I remember when he signed for Chelsea again, being a big fan of Italian football. I knew what they were getting, and and just this idea that this tiny little man could come into such a a physical league and make so many big, brutal British players look so silly with the things that he could do was just for me. It was absolute joy to watch, and and I just I've always felt as though. You know, he was n- he was never absolutely world class or top of the tree at any point in his career, but he was such a joy to watch. Yeah, that's a great show. Uh, one that doesn't really get mentioned that often, but yeah, I think what's amplified by how how enjoyable it was to watch was, as you mentioned, Laura, is the height. You know, just to see him being so small compared to um, obviously the great clip where he embarrasses that twat Jimmy Carragher. Um, <laughs> Which is which is which is always good. Um, how how close were you to putting in like? I mean, we me and Dave mentioned like the Nakamura's, the the Maravchuk's, um You know, were any of them close to going in, or were these just more enjoyable? But none of that, like the emotional attachment. It's it's kind of funny because I, I was trying to think about this when I was when I was putting the team together, and it's. It, 
I don't know if other people feel the same, but I kind of, I, I see my, my my football team that I support as very, very different to like the the more general footballing world, if you like. And I, I, I feel like I've got a lot more vivid memories of, of players who didn't play for my club, if you like. Like, I think I get to so emotionally attached to the Celtic players that I remember too much of their bad stuff as much as their yeah. good stuff. And so I yeah. never feel like I could put them in these teams because I'd be sitting thinking, well, Larson wasn't all that good at taking penalties or, you know, like McStay was always injured or, you know what I mean? It's like... Yeah, no, it's fair. You, just... you remember too many of the, like, things about them that were frustrating and that, and that for me, taints it a little bit. I'm sure if I was watching Zidane or Batistuta every week, there would have been things that annoyed me about them, but I have that layer that I, I don't I don't need to think about that as far as they're concerned. Yeah, no, that's fair. I just, th- those were the two of it all, like, obviously, we, we, you had mentioned about Larson, obviously, just just briefly, um, so I kind of expected that one to come. Um, but I just feel like the, the Nakamura and um, Maravchuk just seem... That, those perfect candidates, um, as you say, if you hadn't been probably so invested in Celtic every week, those probably would have been. See, you were a Saints fan, um, St Johnston for um, anybody um, outside of Scotland. Um, if you'd been like watching them from, you know, from afar, but still close enough to see regularly, I think they would. Have, I see. I feel like those two of all Celtic players would have been the two that would have been closest to your team. Oh, well, listen, listen, play and... Ali, if, if I was a if I was a St Johnston fan, that you can have no doubt I'd have had a front three and it'd have been Gabriel Batistuta, George Cadet and Georgia Boyle. Like it would have been hundred oh. percent and, and I'll tell you, Dave, as well, get him signed on championship manager in ninety six, ninety seven, because he he bangs in the goals as well. Georgia Boyle, remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to have a look at him. <laughs> But I, uh, my, my claim to fame is, if you can call it, for a for a pair striker. Uh, my mum used to babysit his daughter. Oh, yeah? Yeah, signed sign T-shirt, signed sign picture on my wall of Georgia Boyle when I was younger. Well, there um, you go. My six degrees of separation from Georgia Boyle just went down by one degree. I'm, I'm sorted. <laughs> You're getting good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I used to, that's, uh, that's the, the closest to celebrity fame I have. <laughs> So so much that Dave has no idea who he is. Um, not not yet, I don't. But <laughs> championship manager was mentioned, and Dave's ears perked. Oh, no. Listen, I'm pretty sure there's some St Johnston fans who don't know who he was. So there's St Johnston fans who don't know who St Johnston are, Laura. Let's <laughs> let's, let's let's be honest here. Um, right, I'm going to quickly run through your team. Um, so we went the four four two diamond. Peter Schmeichel in goal. McNamara right back. Carlos at left back, uh, Lillian Turam and Yap Stam as your centre halves, um, Pirlo Marshall in the midfield with Ronaldinho and Cruyff playing as the the wider centre of midfielders, with Zidane basically doing what he wants um, <laughs> at that point. With George Cadet and Batistuta up front, Ronaldinho captain in the the side. That is a phenomenal team. Um, I really would love to put all these teams together one day on like a football manager or championship manager and, and let them play out and see see how it gets on. <laughs> I'm not sure mine would uh, would fare very well with that midfield, to be fair, because I think they'd all be all over the place doing whatever they like. 
But, you know, hopefully yeah. Pierlo could hold, hold things down. Just You'll get away with just yap, stand, stand in the middle of the park saying, <laughs> you turn round and run the other way. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's phenomenal. Well, Laura, thank you very much for joining us. Um, do you want to let the, the listeners know where they can find you on on social media and the podcast and that that's that's out? Yeah, so um, I am at lbrad88 on Twitter, so you can follow me there if you want to know. I mostly post about Celtic on there, so um, that's that's where you'll find me, and, and I share various bits and pieces that I'm writing or, or appearing on other podcasts and things like that. Um, as for uh, the Celtic podcast that I'm on, it's called The Celtic State of Mind. It's on live every day at uh, 12.30 on YouTube, um, but I am on sometimes for match coverage, but my usual slot is 12.30 on a Friday. Excellent. Yeah, be sure to check out that, um, especially any Scottish listeners um, who are Rangers fans and just going to tweet your views. Um, <laughs> well, and... it's funny, there's a, there's a decent amount of Rangers fans that seem to have found it, and I, I don't know why they would well, they would want to be involved with it, but they seem happy to watch some Celtic fan media for some reason. So um, I'm saying nothing because we'll get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Dave, for yourself. Uh, yeah, I'm at uh, at cm9798 on Twitter, and uh, I, I mean, people, people know what I'm about by now. So <laughs> I know I've just got to, I've got to do my best. <laughs> um, we are at Man in the Post on all social media platforms: Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram these days. Um, the weekend review show, I don't know when this is going to be out, so this is going to be quite hard. The weekend review show will be out on a Monday or a Tuesday morning, whenever you listen to this. The Chris and the Gang record on a Thursday evening, so that, that is released Friday mornings. Um, and there should be, sometime soon, a Championship Manager pod and a Football Manager pod um, from Dave and the, the Football Manager chap, whose name escapes me at the moment. I apologise. Um <laughs> But, but please give us a, a five-star rating and review on wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, hopefully, we now have some guests lined up. Um, I'm going to try and blackmail Dave to stay on as a regular co-host, and then we that means I can guarantee they will be recorded. Um, and we'll make this a, a regular thing and try and enjoy the, the memory lane side of football again um, for those who are struggling with the, the current situations that their their clubs are in um ali dave and laura <laughs> um, but thank you very much laura for joining us guest and dave for joining well thank you thanks laura as well yeah it's been great and always remember to keep your man in the post uh-huh.